welcome to episode 271 of the Reformed Brotherhood. I'm Jesse. And I'm Tony, and we are proud members of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. We have got yet again another special episode today because we're joined by a guest, a recurrent guest. In fact, the resident poster. Poster. (laughs) (laughs) So special that Jesse can't even pronounce the word correctly. The resident pastor of the Reformed Brotherhood, the Reverend Dr. Kevin Schwamm, my father. And my father-in-law. Dad, welcome. Well, thank you. It's good to be here. As your resident pasta. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm glad to be here. That was like the New England pronunciation. The Bostonian. Yeah. Yeah. Pasta Kevin. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. See, it's that's totally on brand. So I think the last time we had you on the podcast, actually welcome back because it was some time ago. And usually we just have to go through your people. It takes a long time to get the bookings Right. right. So we're finally <laughs> glad that we were able to work out the writer and the contract and yeah. get you back in the podcast. Yeah, we're paying you the big bucks for this one. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, I do speak extensively throughout Canaan uh, in the Upper Valley, so I do have a lot of mileage there. Yes. Yeah, so just for those who uh, maybe didn't hear our last episode or haven't heard when uh, Dad's been on, uh, Dad is the pastor of our church. I've mentioned that many times, a small church in rural New Hampshire. Uh, When you think of a small church, you're probably thinking of something around 50 to 75 people, but our church has about a dozen people when everybody is there. Uh, So that has some unique challenges, some unique blessings, but I would encourage the listener to go back uh, and listen to previous episodes because those conversations have have always been great. And seeing a glimpse at who dad is helps to sort of help you understand who Jesse and I are, because in our own ways, Jesse, obviously more than me, just in terms of time has been shaped by uh, dad, you know, throughout our whole lives. So check those out. They're good episodes. Great, uh, great wisdom. And uh, yeah, they were a lot of fun. I remember we got chased out of this same room, actually, when the plow got here the right. first year. We had to, like, shut down the episode early because the plow got here. Get and There was, like, three, three feet of snow that year. Following up on what Tony said, if uh, he's saying you can tell in them some of my influence, I apologize to all listeners. <laughs> uh, the views you will hear are not necessarily those of Jesse or Tony or Reform Brotherhood podcast. Yes. <laughs> I love that you gave the disclosure. (laughs) We didn't even rehearse that at all. So being that you are a pastor, one of the great things is we love to have you on because you can speak uniquely to the pastoral function, pastoral duties. And we talked a little bit about the idea that'd be helpful maybe talk about pastoral theology. Of course, we're always speaking about theology one way or the other on this podcast and recently been going through a more technical series about theology proper. But let's start with what is pastoral theology? How does that set it set apart from just other veins or disciplines within theology? Well, I think rather than giving like an official definition to get technical, uh, I just think it's how to to shepherd the people God has given you in a way that uh, is in keeping with the scriptures. Uh, but while I was thinking of that, I thought of something else related to this. Uh, maybe advice on things your pastor likes to hear after your message. Uh, and and for those that listen, maybe one thing is just to say it's a good message. That, that's nice, but that really doesn't tell your pastor anything. Uh, nor hearing them say that was a little shorter than usual. Uh, that, that also isn't the greatest compliment. Uh, I think the best way you can comment on your pastor's sermon is if you really have nothing to say, don't say anything. Uh, because it can be clear it's very artificial or just it's a, a nicety. Uh, but, but I think trying to tie it to how that has impacted you, like in terms of here's what I'm going to do this week because of what you said, or here's something I learned about God from, could be that message or a previous message. Uh, I love the comment, uh, and I want to attribute it to Spurgeon because usually you can almost attribute anything to him. <laughs> um, but, I, but I think it was Bunyan who, uh, in response one time to hearing someone say to him, that was a great sermon, Pastor, uh, he quickly responded and said, Satan already told me that. Uh, So I I think, you know, you don't want to feed into the ego part, uh, but I think way of saying something is very practical and relevant. It's probably the best way to encourage your pastor. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that that takes us in a good direction, too, because I think so much of 
pastoral ministry is really shaped from the the congregation's perspective. You know, there's kind of that old joke that like, well, the pastor only works one day a week. And so they, they think of the pastor as just doing the preaching. Uh, and that's certainly a, an important part. And I think I, I would probably say maybe besides prayer, like the most important part of a pastor's job. But maybe let's just talk a little bit about some of the other kinds of responsibilities that a pastor has throughout the week, throughout the month. I mean, there's things that happen on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis that people probably don't think about too much. Outside of the one day a week? Yeah, outside the one day a week. Yeah. I mean, the rest of the time you just study in your office That's for like, right, yeah. like 24 hours a day. Well, I think one of the advantages, and it sometimes can be seen as a disadvantage in a small church, uh, you're going to be doing everything. Yeah. In, in some capacity. Sometimes you'll be doing repairs. Sometimes you'll need to do copying, photocopying. Uh, you know, lots of little tasks that you just have to be flexible with. Uh, and probably good for listeners to know, yeah, a pastor does have to have adequate study time. It's very important. Uh, but you also have to do other tasks. If you're married, you have a wife to attend to, family needs. Uh, even before this podcast, uh, in addition to being in hours on my knees in prayer, um, you know, I was working on a message, stopped to hang up some pictures around the house, other tasks, took the dogs out. So, I mean, you have a, a, an ordinary life, but, but a life that is balanced well in seeing all things, like Luther said, as, as vocational ministry yeah. and calling of the Lord. Is there something that when you look back over your ministry or people interact with you that you can see people misunderstand the most about what it means to be a pastor, maybe like especially a small town pastor, but like generally is the one thing you're like, if I could say to people, it's not like that. Is there one thing that jumps to your mind? I think sometimes people don't realize uh, because they often feel they have to give you a reason why they weren't in church. And I think sometimes when they do that, they don't realize how, how silly their reason sounds. Yeah. You know, so say if someone says to me, well, I, I was really tired and I, I just couldn't get up this morning. <laughs> you know, like, like that just sounds to me like, well, we're all tired and there's times where it's hard to get up in the morning. But, you know, this is what we need to do. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't know if I have a particular one. I mean, I, I've often joked about just, a, a, you know, putting a short book together of all the, the different reasons or things people have said sometimes that, that would just kind of lend to the absurdity sometimes of, of why we're just not in worship or why we're not at prayer meeting or why we're just neglecting an important spiritual discipline. And why do you think it is they feel they need to say that to you in particular? You know, so there's almost there is implied there's some sense that uh, they need you to know why they weren't there, but they want to give you in particular a good reason, not necessarily anybody else, but make sure you know that they had a reason. Well, I think they feel guilty. Which yeah. is, is a good thing. I mean, we, we don't like to talk about guilt today or conviction. Uh, but, but I think the fact that they often feel that way, one is they do realize the sense of you're their pastor so that they do see you differently than just someone else who they might not say it to. Um, but I, I think many times they're trying to justify, make themselves feel a little bit better or know you're kind of maybe are thinking this and sometimes you are but other times you're not like you're not necessarily <laughs> thinking well what are you going to say uh but but they will do that yeah uh which sometimes i've said well you should <laughs> you know <laughs> and, and kind of then moved a little bit made it a little lighter but getting the point across that's a good thing I'm, yeah i'm glad you missed it and feel like people notice when you're not there mm -hmm. yeah yeah i found um I found that's really true. Like people try to give you, whether it's going to church on Sunday or really any other kind of obligation that a Christian has of, of uh, you know, maybe it's like a TV show they know they shouldn't watch and someone finds out that they've watched it and then they launch into a million reasons why it was okay for them to watch it. Well, you know, it's got a really good redemptive arc. You're like, yeah, but it's filled with nasty, filthy stuff. And they're like, well, yeah, but like there's some there's some Jesus symbolism in there. And you're like, why are you even, why, like, why are you even thinking that? I, th I think that's interesting. People, people feel this need to like justify themselves mm -hmm. for certain actions or certain inactions, um, especially to their pastor. And I guess on the flip side, I would say pastors can be guilty of that more so when you're at pastor meetings where you feel like you need to justify 
your attendance figures or justify, you know, some extemporaneous reason why things are not going that well or yeah. something like that. So it's not just one-sided. Uh, the other thing I, I found interesting is, as I do a lot of reading just related to pastoral theology, I was thinking of Martin Bucer's book, uh, The Care of Souls. Like, in one sense, very little has changed as to what makes for sound pastoral theology. Our, our tools have changed tremendously, uh, but really when you think about it, it's it's relatively simple. Yeah. Um, challenging, but, but really has not changed if you want to know what what an effective role as a pastor should look like uh, and how that should filter down and even teaching you know your your people how they can shepherd one another yeah so if you could take some of that then and if distill it down to maybe like a couple essential elements you're saying this is what maybe good pastoral theology and practice looks like or good, you know, quote unquote ministry, you know, for all of us, there are many people that are trying to, some among our listeners, even trying to evaluate if they're in the right church, if they're receiving the right ministry, but just to give people like maybe something to think about in terms of a comparison, what does that look like? If you could pick a couple elements and say, yeah, this is distilled down what good pastoral ministry and theology looks like. Well, it has to be word-centered. So I think of Paul in Acts 20 when he says, you know, he he spent time in tears warning them, uh, presenting them the whole counsel of God, that, that that's got to be critical, okay. uh, that we take our people through all of Scripture, not just our favorite books or ones that they necessarily are just interested in. Uh, prayer is, is another big role in that, I think, Uh personal practice of spiritual disciplines um i think most pastors would agree and i've as tony mentioned i've been at my church now this church uh for like 31 years so i'm kind of at that end or the side of ministry where uh, you know i'm i'm like a an old timer more i mean i've been 35 years or 38 years in ministry altogether um it's just the importance of of prayer in relationship to sermon preparation uh, so it's not just exegesis and not just getting the right commentaries and you know Greek and Hebrew, but it, it's also you gotta you gotta pray about it. Uh, and probably one of the the second aspects of pastoral theology uh, is is, and this comes with long term ministries benefit, um, exegeting your people, you know, knowing who your people are when you think of what do they really need to hear, uh, where does God want to take them. Because uh, sometimes you can have a great idea for a sermon, but it's it's your idea. It's it's your text you mm-hmm. want to bring. It's not really the text they might need to hear. Right. So that's what you save it for the book that you yes. write. That you yeah. write. Yeah. The pastoral <laughs> theology. If anyone wants to donate towards that cause, <laughs> we'll have information later available for you. <laughs> like every time you come on, Dad, you essentially take over the podcast. Dad's like starting like... his own GoFundMe now. We got to get our people on that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what you said is so important too, and I think what what the listener should probably pick up on, you know, there's the particular kind of of Christian in the reform world that's like really into podcasts. And they're also usually really into like celebrity podcasters, celebrity pastors. And I think like the the thing I want to call out is none of the things that you just said are particularly flashy. Like a, a pastor can labor for decades in a small church in rural America and minister to the same group of 10, 20 people and still be a faithful shepherd who's doing who's doing God's work because God has empowered him to where I think a lot of people think of like well who's the who are the like really effective pastors and they immediately go to like the high profile preachers that have followings of thousands and thousands even someone like Calvin in his day was kind of a kind of a superstar but he was surrounded by a company of pastors that helped him minister to the people on the ground in Geneva and you know most of those people I mean their names are recorded somewhere I'm sure I could find those but most of those people history has totally forgotten so I think that there's a there's a a movement within kind of reformed Christianity 
in particularly people who are sort of invested in internet interaction, social media, podcasting, blogs, that kind of stuff. There's a movement that I think is starting to take hold where we need to get away from this sort of celebrity, I'll say it, celebrity worship that happens where your favorite pastor can do no wrong and, and all of your books are recommended by them. You're never reading anything that someone else did. Um, I just think pastoral ministry has to be primarily grounded in the local church and when it starts to balloon up and is no longer focused on the local church it really becomes it becomes something else completely i think and that that probably would fit with pastoral theology another aspect of that i think and some of this is borrowing from luther uh is is teaching our people uh the importance of the theology of the cross and and how suffering fits in uh, which doesn't fit in with that you know kind of the, some would say, the uh, new prosperity gospel. You know, it's all about Christ making you a better person, making you this or that. Uh, I think we have to get back to, uh, you know, suffering and difficulties are part of the Christian life, uh, and that should be expected. Um, I think also the tendency today to speak or encourage people, and I get where it's coming from, um, but I think we need to encourage more believers to, to live an ordinary life, uh, to, you know, not everyone's going to rise to some position. Tony mentioned, you know, other people in media. I don't mean to brag, but I think I have 26 followers on Twitter, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so, again, you know, that's a tribute. Uh, but I think we need to teach people there's nothing wrong with living faithfully in what you're doing, serving God in your employment, whether you're at, you know, Dartmouth Medical Center in our area, you're a construction worker, whatever that is. Uh, no one knows you maybe outside your your town, your bigger sphere, but but that's okay. Yeah. Uh, rather than I think the tendency is so many Christians want to do something extraordinary that they're missing all the ordinary opportunities that they have. Yeah. Right. So, so two thoughts. First, I think probably at least five or six of those Twitter followers that Dad has are various social media accounts that I manage. <laughs> I think so, uh, probably too. And also Dad's... Uh, but I was Dad's, speaking evangelistically. Oh, there you go. <laughs> but also Dad's Twitter profile pic is still the egg, the default egg picture that comes with... Uh, we got to work on that. ...with Twitter. So I, I, actually, I think if you have that, that egg picture, they think you're fake. So Twitter might not even think you're a real person. But uh, just to we'll follow have to up... to get on that. We have, so, yeah. There'll be a lot of people wanting to follow me now. It's true. <laughs> It's true. We have dozens of listeners. So uh, the other thing I just dozens. wanted to call out is uh, there's a book. I actually recommended this book to someone the other day. There's a book by Michael Horton called Ordinary that I think follows nicely on on the the comments that Dad just made, and it really does focus on that. Is that throughout you know throughout the history of the church, most Christians have just lived normal ordinary lives, right. and and that's just fine. That's actually how God intended it, right? Paul Paul in in for first or second Thessalonians, I don't remember which one, but he says like work with your hands, don't be busy by is like mind your own business and live a quiet life and that's not only is that fine but for most people that's actually the command and the that life the that calling. god has decided yeah, that's the calling and we think of calling in terms of these like big pictures like i'm called to be a missionary to nicaragua or to some island somewhere where nobody's ever set foot and in reality there are some people that are called to that but for most people like you know, for guys, get married, make babies, work a job, feed your family, go to church, you know, attend to the means of grace. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's a really good reminder for all of us to just think through. And, and Horton's book, Ordinary, really, really, really changed my perspective on a lot of that, I think. Yeah. One of the things you said that I wonder if you could elaborate on is you spoke a little bit about something that I think is underemphasized or underappreciated in pastoral ministry, and that is leading people in suffering or perhaps. Maybe another way of saying it would be being present, how to serve, how to guide in suffering. Is that something that you could speak to? Well, I think, I mean, you realize when Paul says, like, God comforts us in our afflictions so that we can comfort others, just helping people to understand if, if, if we truly believe in God's sovereignty, then that includes difficult circumstances. It's not necessarily... Um, like, you know, automatically tied to God's judgment of sin on you, or it's there, but he'll take it away as soon as you ask him to. Uh, and you have so many examples in Scripture that model that for us, uh, plus in church history. Uh, that, that kind of is one of the things, I guess, related to, to jumping off that, is uh, 
and I'll just put it this way, not that I see this in my congregation, uh, but, but there's a lot of Christian whiners, uh, especially with COVID and everything else, but you read through church history and you see, you know, the things that the church dealt with in earlier centuries was, was much worse than this. Yeah. Um, and I was just reading a great uh, article in uh, uh, Puritan Reform Journal. I'll give a shout-out to Joel Beakey. You can thank me. <laughs> we always give uh, out a shout-out to Joel Beakey on this uh, show. But, but he had a, a really good article about Cotton Mather and how he was dealing with the smallpox vaccine. Yeah. Mm. And, and kind of the same issues as you see with COVID. There were people who were claiming it was unchristian to get it. Uh, and he really presented an excellent argument to counter that. You know, we're, we're seeking to protect life. This is something that God's given us the ability to to develop. Uh, so I, I think just understanding in a, in a difficult world, just coming alongside our people in that regard. Uh, I think you've probably seen a big jump, I know, in Christian counseling right now and in, in therapists in general, just saying they're overworked, there's too many people coming to them. Uh, that, that's a great opportunity for the church to not just say, well, all this stuff is negative and there's no purpose in it, but for mm. us to present like a, a sound theodicy, like, you know, how does this fit in a world where God is sovereign, but we have sin and suffering? Mm. Yeah. And that jumps right into, you know, our sanctification, mm. uh, which probably is a, a part of pastoral theology, at least from a congregational standpoint, that I feel is often neglected especially maybe more in reform circles, are very strong on justification. And that is extremely important. But then sometimes we don't hammer home sanctification. Yeah. You know, what, what's supposed to happen after you've been justified? And how does that look like, you know, when you've known the Lord 25 years, 30 years or longer? Yeah. Yeah, it's funny you say that, um, that comment about, uh, cotton mathers and smallpox and everything. Uh, you and I were actually talking about this the other day, but it's, I was struck by the idea of how many people who maybe 10 or 15 years ago were like in the height of the young restless reformed movement and had like a Jonathan Edwards is my homeboy t-shirt now are so anti-vaccination and so convinced that like it, it represents a lack of faith in God and have no clue that Jonathan Edwards died because he was helping to develop and he was a test patient for the smallpox vaccine. Um, or, you know, the, what you said about sanctification, that one of the issues, another show on the Society of Reform podcasters called Restless kind of called out that one of the issues in the young restless reform movement is that justification became not just a really important thing, right? Calvin, Luther both said it was the hinge that the church rises on earth. Calvin said it was the hinge that opens the door to the salvation. Luther said it was the article that the church rises and falls. And so we acknowledge right. it's really important, yeah. but it became like the only doctrine that anybody talked about was just justification. And now there's a whole generation of people who have gone through that and have no idea what the Bible teaches about sanctification, what the Reformed confessions or our shared history and tradition teaches about sanctification. So I've really appreciated sitting under your teaching how often a sermon is rich with the gospel, but doesn't just leave the gospel as being just about salvation from our sins. It's also about the purification of our souls and the progression in holiness and the end state of man. All of that is wrapped up into preaching the gospel on a, on a weekly basis in a way that I don't think a lot of kind of these evangelical reformed, young, restless, reformed people have ever really understood. And it's so important. Yeah. And, I, and I think related to pastoral theology, just the, the, the constant effort to take theology and, and make it very relevant and understandable for, for everyone. Um, you know, I, I know there's there's a certain, obviously, podcast, other things geared toward more the academic side of it. Um, but I think a lot of people in general who are Christians still have that concept. Theology is, is for, like, pastors, for missionaries. Uh, and I think it takes a real skill to try to teach accurate, deep theology, but in a very practical and understandable way. Do you think in some ways, I'm curious for your opinion on this, do you think in some ways that the pandemic itself and the challenge that the church has faced in light of the pandemic, both generally with respect to sickness and caring for people, but also in light of the different opinions about the virus altogether, has this been a place where we've seen the lack of theology and its impact? 
Oh, definitely. I, I would say one way you see it is how it's caused such division. Oh, uh, in terms of if you don't have a sound theology, and I think of like your Christology, uh, pneumatology, if you don't have a sound theology in that regard, is that going to understand or impact your understanding of ecclesiology and how believers are to relate to one another in, in matters of indifference, you know, not related to salvation, but involving Christian love or, or surrender in certain ways like that? So, so I think, you know, many, there are many who would say, well, you know, the church, everything we're seeing because of COVID is just a challenge for the church, and it's brought in new issues. I would tend to look at it as what COVID has done is a blessing, a mixed blessing, is expose the weaknesses that have mm, been there, right. yeah, uh, which are tied to theology, which is why I understand next week's guest is going to speak on how Moses wore a mask because he was veiled when he came down from Mount Sinai. But I'll, I'll let them deal with that next week. Unfortunately, I won't be here to address it. Uh, what are you doing to us? I've heard people make that argument, and I just shake my head. That is not what that passage is about. Well, that would be an example of bad yeah. theology, yeah, right, which sure. leads to bad hermeneutics and bad application and everything else. Yeah, on the, sure. fl the flip side of it, I've also heard people say uh, they've used that passage in First Corinthians where it's with unveiled, unveiled faces, you know, <laughs> oh we behold the glory oh of Christ yeah. in the face of Jesus Christ. And they yeah. use that to, to yeah. argue, well, so that we can't wear masks because we're supposed to have unveiled amazing. faces. And yeah. And you're right. Like but the people's theology, I mean, that's kind of like our war cry is like theology, theology matters. Like what you believe and what you say and what you teach actually makes a difference. So when we spend you know, five episodes talking about sort of arcane esoteric doctrines like divine simplicity and how the Trinity works. And, and we spend that time on that. People kind of say like, well, what does that actually matter for our lives? What's the practical? How does that change how you preach the gospel? Well, it does change how you preach the gospel. But even if it didn't, just knowing God more and more and, and more accurately is is important. But it has all these downstream implications that we don't realize right. about what does it mean to love our neighbors? What does it mean to rightly interpret the word or rightly apply the word to a given situation? And this hasn't gained much traction yet, but you know, Paul said uh, he bears the scars of, of his persecution for Christ. So I'm assuming people could see that. So I'm developing a trend to preach shirtless <laughs> and see if you know we can get some traction behind that. Uh, you know, maybe even doing the podcast shirtless. Uh, well, we can do that uh, right know, now. So we are. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, usually so I don't wear pants when I'm in, podcasting, so... And here is feedback on that, so please <laughs> get on the hotline, 1-800-NO-SHIRT-PREACHER. Uh, Dad, we need to get a new, uh, just a podcast that's just you making jokes yeah, for like an hour. I think, I think that would be fantastic. I would listen to that. And I, I appreciate you saying that because I wasn't even thinking of the challenges in the church in terms of like its unity, of its discussion around these things, but it certainly has been an issue. One of the things I've wondered, and again, I would, I would love to hear your perspective, is that I fear that in some cases, like Christians, we came into a situation that was more pressing for a lot of Western Christians than ever before, yeah. that they're being really challenging their expression of faith or how to apply their faith. And so I'm going to use it in quotation marks. There was an emergency situation, but ironically, these were Christians who found themselves without like an emergency kit, spiritually yeah. speaking, or yeah. theologically speaking. So. They didn't know how to process anything. They, instead, they were everything. The filter which overlaid the way in which we looked at the world was a political filter or a medical filter. Or, and I'm not saying these things are mutually exclusive that they can all influence, but there was no predominant theological filter. So there was no sense of this. What does it mean that if God is truly sovereign, how does that lay over everything right now? Do you see that in the church? Is that happening? Well, that, that would be. Yeah, I would agree with that in terms of, and maybe that would be the difference when you look at how different churches have navigated through this. I think the ones that have laid that strong overview of God's sovereignty, of a proper understanding of difficulties and trials, they are the churches that that weathered through this more effectively. Not that they didn't have any disagreements, right. but, but how they're coming out of that. And that brings us back to yeah, that, that a lot of this is related to if we don't have a sound theology, a biblical theology, 
then then we're just reacting to things. I mean, obviously the scriptures don't mention COVID, so you're not going to find a verse that tells you this is how you should respond if this happens in your right. world. But but a biblical theology will present the, the correct parameters mm. for you really to be able to respond to any challenge. Yeah, and that goes back to what you were saying earlier about the, the importance of a pastor exegeting their, their flock and knowing their people, yeah. right? Because, a, you know, a, a church, a, a rural church in New Hampshire with 10 people can respond to COVID differently than a mega church in a major city mm-hmm. in California with 5,000 people or, a, you know, a super mega church. Is that a thing anymore? I don't know. But like a, a giant church in the Philippines that has like 10,000 people on a Sunday, those situations are not the same. Even though it's the same kind of external pressure of COVID-19, it's not the same thing at all for us to rearrange our sanctuary to accommodate social distancing as it would right. be for, you know, John MacArthur's church. And I mean, we've, we've had our fair share of let's beat up on John MacArthur conversations throughout COVID, but he had a much di- more difficult situation just on the ground trying to figure out how do I, how do I even think about what to do with 5,000 people on a Sunday? So that, that understanding of, you know, more or less, John MacArthur, we have the same basic theology in terms of God's sovereignty, right? But how we look at that and how we understand how to apply that, you know, in on the ground is different. And that's really important because our church is very different than even, even a, a church of 50 people across town from us. Right. It's a very different situation for us to think about how to do COVID yeah. than it is for them and, and for all sorts of reasons. Right. Yeah, which does make you wonder, as some have said, you know, was is part of all this and God's plan, too, to get the church to re-examine itself, where, where maybe the American idolized picture of a church is a large right. megachurch yeah. yeah. more, where, again, there's all questions now, as, as we were talking about the other day, just a little bit how... You know, there, there's pastors of this, pastors of that, yeah, and, and mm-hmm. that's diluted the term. What does it mean to be a pastor? Yeah, right. Um, you know, because you do see more and more even bigger churches, and I haven't spoken to Johnny MacArthur in a while. <laughs> uh, but you know, e- even the fact that more saying they need to get smaller, right, in right. some way, right? Uh, and yeah, there there are there are tremendous advantages. To being a smaller church where we are able to adapt really quickly yeah. to things. I mean, we, we're not going to get caught up in lots of committees and evaluations. I mean, we do it with discernment and wisdom, but but we we don't have a lot of that. So yeah. there are challenges, obviously, to a small church, um, but there are also advantages. Right. Yeah. Well, one of the things I wanted to give you opportunity to do because I don't think we've asked this before is, you know, it strikes me, of course, that. In the final analysis, pastoral theology is theology being applied by pastors who are people themselves, right? So I wanted to ask, since you have this epic you know, time in ministry, what's been one of the best things about being a pastor? Oh, I, the thing that always comes to my mind is you, you're able to come alongside people during the highest points in their life of joy and on the opposite end of their deepest sorrows. So, so seeing that to me is is a blessing. Yeah. Wow. And I feel like hopefully what people are hearing is that that emotion, that essence, is what it means. I think to be a good pastor, it's yeah. it's bringing the full counsel of God into people's lives when they need uh, like a celebrant, so to speak, and they need an anchor. Right. They need the truth being preached to them in the daily living, in the conversation when it does matter the most. Yeah. And we all want pastors like that, I think, right? Right. And I, I think you see that even in, in any size church when you have, you know, qualified elders or other things like that, there, there is a sense in which certain situations people still want their pastor. Right. Yeah. They, they just do that. Right. Probably the second biggest blessing is the six-figure salary. <laughs> Well, that's a far second. Yeah, that's a that's a different story altogether. <laughs> Sorry, and that's a hilarious joke because obviously yeah. that's not yeah. The case. I'm, not sure actually, to, I'm not even sure how to. I'm not even sure how to display now, related, that. Say I did straight out. Add related to pastoral theology. Um, obviously, I serve my church, but I've been teaching uh, also full time at a Christian school where I do Bible like six different classes for junior high through senior high. And and the blessing of doing that, I think, is 
Um, clearly, youth are, are not as polite as adults. <laughs> uh, when you can see something is not making sense to them or they don't see the relevance of it. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful, I think, in many ways, although it's, it's difficult to balance both, I think that uh, helps keep me sharper. Mm because I, I get to work, and then I also work with college kids. Uh, you know, so even I'm, I'm getting to see, like, three different age groups, uh, and, and they all need to hear and, and know theology, but it's just got to be packaged and communicated differently to each because of the world that they're in. Yeah. So this conversation is all going to be heard by the entire world in the just the beginning of the new year, 2022. So we often will give this challenge, but we're not as equipped as you are to give it. And so here's the question is, somebody's listening to this, if there is something that they could do for their pastor this week to encourage them, what would you recommend that they do? Uh, I think to, to, to be better to say it physically to them, but maybe if you feel that you need to send a note, uh, but to tell them you're picking a certain day of the week to pray for them. Yeah. And then you'll do that faithfully and ask them, like not just that one time, but maybe next month, you know, just say to them, All right, I'm praying, do you have anything particular? Or, or just say, I'm praying for the message, I'm praying for your family, uh, for your health, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, that would be something very practical that they can do. Uh, and then I think the key is, obviously, to reverse that, every pastor should be praying faithfully for the people that they have. And that would fall upon them, too, to somehow find a way to creatively communicate that to to your people. Uh, because we all know it's very easy. We, we know we should pray for one another. And that's probably one of the first things we often say to someone if they say to us, well, you know, I'm having a rough week. We say, well, I'll pray for you. Right. But we all know, too, we often can forget. Right. And then, you know, we see them the next time. We're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, so I, w I would say that would be something. I like that. And then, then maybe even asking your pastor sometime, uh, which is another part of pastoral theology, I think not just pastors need to read widely and deeply. So, I mean, certainly I love the Puritans, I love the Reformed, but, but I also make it an effort to read other theological viewpoints and things to, to better understand the distinctiveness within certain theological positions. Uh, but, you know, for to encourage our people to read, ask your pastor, say, I, I really would like to read something related to you know, a, a deeper knowledge of God. What would you suggest for me? Mm. Um, you know, and, and something like that. That's great. So those are a couple of suggestions I have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, your pastor also probably accepts like checks. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, they make yeah. so much money. They probably, they probably don't need it, but. And no, I think I'm, it's I'm good. It's a good early for your people. Sometimes ask your pastor, what are they reading? Yeah, yeah. You know, not for not sure. like the intent of, of asking. Like, we want to make sure you you're earning your salary, <laughs> but but like, I'm really interested. What what are you reading? Yeah, one thing that I'll I'll add in there as someone who not not this congregation, but in other churches I've been a part of, one thing that I know can really kind of drain on a pastor is when you treat them like an employee, because although yes, it's it's kind of true in a sense that like the church is quote owned or managed by the people like it's a it's a community that is comprised of people and they call a pastor and they their tithe checks pay the pastor's wages but i know i know i've spoken with pastors in the past who who really get run through the ringer and they feel mm -hmm. like they have to walk on eggshells they feel like every sunday is a performance mm -hmm. evaluation and i know that can just be soul crushing so i think when when a person approaches their pastor and is trying to encourage them to just keep that in mind to think this is not this person is a servant to me, but not in the sense that they are my servant. 
They are God's servant who is delegated to attend to my needs, but ultimately they answer to God, not to me. And I think keeping that in the forefront of your mind as you're interacting with your pastor, as you're, you know, like we said earlier, like when you go to your pastor to share something about a sermon, pastors love feedback. And if a sermon is a stinker, they probably want to know about that. They want to get better at their craft. They want to deliver sermons that are more applicable, that are more, you know, captivating, that catch people's attention and keep people's attention. But when you, when all you ever do is go to your pastor to give them criticism about their sermon, it it really can, I'm sure it can feel like a, like a performance evaluation every week. And that, like I said, I know a lot of people who've left ministry because they just, that is the perspective that's out there and they get beat up all the time. So, so keep that in mind too, as you're interacting with your pastors. It's probably good for, I mean, I realize we're, I don't think we'll ever be out of COVID, but I mean, things change. Um, for the average parishioner to realize if, if they think COVID is interruptive in their lives, think of how much more that is for your pastor. Right on. Yeah. Who, who like wants to physically be with people, but they, they can't, or they have to be limited. Right. Uh, or they're dealing with the pressure of, you know, again, the, the tension of, you know, will this divide the flock? Uh, you know, how do we cut back on ministry without compromising doing ministry? Yeah, right. uh, you know, those are all things I think the average parishioner doesn't think about when they're thinking, well, this is really hard for the church. Yeah. Uh, they're not thinking, well, it's it's probably harder if, if your pastor is the kind of shepherd that, that God wants him to be. Yeah. Right. And we've talked about that at length, haven't we, with this yeah. idea that... I don't want to have the responsibility to make those decisions. It's easy to sit back and say, like, well, I would do it differently. But yeah. the question is, when actually, if you actually had to carry that mantle right. and to discern under God what is the right thing that both promotes life and also brings forward the gospel, these are just infinitesimally, I think, hard things. This is, this is where we need God to right. come and speak to us through yeah. great leaders yeah. who are connected with Him in the Word and in prayer that... And, and something that you said strikes me, I presume, I'm going to say, I'm guessing that what you mean when you say, you know, ch- some churches have weathered this differently. And I think that that's a matter of fact, right? There are some that, if we just say differently, mm. that that groundwork that needs to be laid doesn't happen in two weeks when right. things change. It's mm. really this constant heaping up, this cumulative nature of consistently being committed in fidelity to the scriptures and its proclamation of the gospel week after week when things are normal and when things are not, when it's summer and when it's winter, in season and out. Mm-hmm. And it's, you can't replicate that when the emergency comes. Yeah. You, in other words, you can't just implement that right away and think, well, this is going to solve everything. So this is kind mm-hmm. of a clarion call to say, uh, you know, we need to do that consistently. I, I mean, I think if I'm hearing you correctly on that. There you are. And I guess just, uh, I mean, for anyone who's in ministry, uh, you know this, but probably just a reminder, you, you cannot please everyone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you, you really have to go with, again, you, you know, your leadership, uh, but ultimately what you know the Lord wants. Yeah. Uh, and to realize that may not be the same for every church uh, in terms of certain things that obviously aren't related to uh, core doctrines and teaching how you handle things, but but just don't expect that somehow you can come up with something that's going to please everyone. Right. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in, you know, March of 2020, all of a sudden every church was teach, trying to teach ecclesiology through right. Zoom, right? right. And, and I think that's one of the things too that you mentioned earlier that a pastor has to be word centered. That also means a pastor has to be word centered in the entire counsel of God. And one of the things that's been a strength of your ministry, and and I've noticed this here is because you're engaged in primarily expository preaching. I mean, you do series on things, but primarily you pick a book, you teach through a book, you get that whole counsel of God. And Mm -hmm. so our, our people here at our church, you know, we've been very blessed. There has been very little, uh, real division or real conflict during COVID. Um, people have continued to generously give of their, yeah. you know, their um, finances to sustain the church. They've, they've done that out of obedience to the Lord. But all of that is not because we somehow have a really superior pastor. I think you're a great pastor, but it's not, it's not that we have some amazing superstar pastor or some amazing superstar leadership team or superstar congregation. It's because of the congregation that you pastor has been shaped by the whole council of God over the course of decades now. And so when this came, 
we didn't have to start suddenly doing frantic ecclesiology mm-hmm. lessons because right. yeah. people understood that the church is primarily the gathered people of God on the on the Lord's day and that we have obligations to each other that involve protecting each other and involves sacrificing for each other, putting right. other people's needs and preferences first and and also you know, sitting and watching each other on a screen is not the same as worshiping together. So all of that was already in place. Mm-hmm. So then all we had to do and all you had to do as a pastor and at my own little role as a deacon at the time is we just had to say to the congregation, all the stuff we've been learning about, all the stuff we've talked about, I mean, we just have to apply it's it go here. Time. And, and now here's how it works. It's kind of <laughs> like... Um, like when, you know, they do like uh, like drills in football, right? They do drills. They throw the same pass 100 times, not because that exact pass is ever going to happen in a game, but because now it becomes so automatic when a, a defender rolls a certain direction and the receiver rolls the other direction, the quarterback just automatically knows where to throw it mm. because that's just drilled into him. That's why they call it drills. So I just think that's been such an important thing that's come out during this pandemic and during this weird time. And it's not that unique of a time. This isn't like the first time the church has ever faced pressures. But the churches that have done really well are shaped by the word and by the entire counsel of God, where the churches that seem to have done more poorly, at least from what I've seen, tend to be more... Uh, more shaped by individual doctrines or individual focuses mm-hmm. rather than a, a real broad understanding of let's preach the whole word for all of life. Right. I think that's been really important. And I guess that just reminds me, uh, whether you're talking specifically pastoral theology or theology in general, it, it has to speak sensitively and with discernment to issues. So I don't think every Sunday you should be getting up and talking about contemporary issues. Yeah. Because uh, then it's just driven by the news. But I think, like in our case, when we did need to speak about why masking was, was going to be encouraged or whatever, it was all related to speaking out that directly from the perspective of, of how should Christians respond to each other. Right. right. And so that was really the foundation out of which now we were saying, well, how does this apply to a very relevant and a situation that does need to be talked about yeah not just implemented from like the top down or something right i don't know if you all felt it but there was a moment just before where dad you said you can't please everybody and then you responded and paused long i thought you were going to say well this has been a great episode (laughs) (laughs) because we're notorious for not being able to land the plane but also i was like oh my gosh no i was just trying to figure Um, out what to say you know what it's a good place to end this you can't please everybody here that people ministry (laughs) pastors are working they're they're working hard so as we draw too close since like here's the thing you're you're tony's pastor directly you'll always in some ways always be my pastor so I'm just going to turn around and say, this would be an opportunity to make recommendation on the back end here as we close. What are you reading these days? And is there something that you would recommend to people that's been good that you've come across? Well, there, there's a lot of good books. Uh, I've been reading more William Perkins lately. Uh, I just got his work. Classic. Volumes one through six, where there's a great deal on. <laughs> just volumes um, one so through six. I, well, yeah, I'm waiting till the next <laughs> sale. Or listeners, if you would like to help contribute to the GoFund. <laughs> Uh, Pastor Kevin Page. Uh, we'll have information on that. Uh, I've also read uh, some different things related to Lutheran theology, which I found interesting. Not that I agree with everything, but but again, just reminding me of, of, of different theological views, where that comes from, and the more the importance, I think, of not separating law and gospel, but seeing them sure. as one pointing, as Paul would say, to takes us by the hand to Christ. So it, yeah. it really serves to complement and complete and show us for what Christ has done. Man, that Chad Bird, he gets uh, into everything. He's, he's everywhere. He's so, everywhere. And, and, and then there are, there are uh, well, the book, uh, the Old Testament in seven sentences, the New Testament in seven sentences. I think it'd be helpful for people. It's, it's very basic, but it might spark an interest in kind of saying, wow, I, I really need to know more about what's in that particular book. Right, uh, and that was one reason why I, I preached on that with uh, the college students I work with, because I felt that you know often they know certain books, so they tend to focus a lot on the Gospels, which are great, but then often have like this gaps in mm-hmm. understanding yeah. of other parts of the Bible, which affect how you talk of obviously the New Covenant if you're unfamiliar with the Old Covenant, right. what that's all about. Right. 
That's a good list. So basically, all of William Perkins. And, and I would say, yeah. And I would also say, no, don't let any of that should be supplemental, not replace your reading of scripture. Yeah. Right on. So if if you're going to start reading, start reading scripture first. You know, let scripture interpret scripture before you maybe pack in a bunch of outside books. I just love how Jesse tries to wrap us up and then asks the pastor in the room his book reading list. And, and Dad's like, well, you could read all of William Perkins, the That's Old right. Testament in seven words. Uh, I know that like Joel Beakey just came out with a bunch of new systematic. That's true. Just, it's just yeah. going to be another hour of book recommendation, which is fine. Yeah. Just saying. That's another podcast, another, yeah. another episode. Well, thanks for hanging out with us, Dad. We, yeah. we always appreciate We covet this time, actually. We plan for it. We look forward to it. And I know so many others do as well. And because you're the resident pastor, you'll be back again. If, yes. you'll, if you'll come on. Well, again, we'll work I, out I really appreciate that official title. Uh, I know you did say I wasn't going to get my Christmas gift unless I did this <laughs> podcast. So I appreciate the incentive there. Uh, but no, it's, it's great to kind of talk, obviously talk ministry, to talk uh, theology that should be something all of us want to know right. more deeply uh, and live out more passionately. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it. This has been a great episode. We love we love having guests, but we love especially having our pastor and father on the show. Right on. Uh, I hope that the listener kind of gets a glimpse at just the the reality of pastoral ministry through through this episode because it is it is something that I think people on the outside of this I've I've commented before that before I I got involved in this family I had no idea what ministry was actually like. And then all of a sudden I kind of got, I used to joke that I would never, I would never marry a pastor's kid. And then of course I moved to Boston and married a pastor's kid. But like you get a totally different perspective on what ministry is like when you're all of a sudden swept into the family of a minister. So, so I appreciate everything you do. I, I'm appreciative of you coming on the show. I don't know how to finish so this. I, a I've quick lost... Spurgeon antidote, maybe. <laughs> Thanks uh, for <laughs> talking about maybe helping people understand your pastor more. Um, remember that Spurgeon Forum, the Spurgeon College for pastors training people. Right. So he would often receive letters of people asking for, would you recommend a pastor for this? Uh, and he tells about receiving a letter from someone who basically wanted the perfect pastor, listed everything they wanted, that at the end they had the salary they were willing to offer him. Spurgeon wrote back and said, for someone to meet these qualifications and to live on the salary, you said, they must be an angelic being. So good luck with that. Yeah, that's true. It's a good reminder. I'm not sure how we fit that into the end of the episode, but it's that a good reminder. That that's the end. That is perfect. That's even better than being like, you can't please everybody. I agree. Yeah. Well, we'll just uh, slam this into gear and, and finish it out. So, All right. Well, until next time then. Honor everyone and love the brotherhood. Oh.